the hard shoulder on News Talk with Nissan Subscribe and Drive. No deposit, no compromise, no fuss. Find out more at Nissan.ie. You're welcome back to the hard shoulder. Kieran Cudahy with you until seven o'clock, and delighted to be joined for the Thursday interview this week. Timely, timely guest, Tommy Bow. You're welcome to the show. Kieran, thank you for having me. Good uh, to talk I, to you. I have to ask about the Six Nations. I guess this weekend. Are you excited for its return? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, Ireland, Wales. For me, the well. Listen, everybody loves the English match. That's the biggest one. That you know, you go through the airport, you bump into people in the street. The English match is the biggest one. But I think even just listening to Johnny Sexton during the week the interviews with them Ireland v Wales there's something about it whether it's whenever you're playing against each other in the every week in week out and the the, the the Pro 14 are playing alongside each other the Lions just that competitiveness between Ireland and Wales is always such a big one so to have it first off I think the fact that Wales won last time it just adds a bit of heat to it so can't wait to get yeah, started and the fact that Wales I, I always got the sense and you know more because you were in in the middle of it that maybe was there a little bit of kind of bitterness in the Irish camp for a long time or it was allowed to develop that Massive. there was a sense that yeah kind of you were on a better team but the Welsh could kind of the Welsh could kind of turn it on couldn't it was, they it, and it's they'd stemmed, be awful in November internationals and they'd win a grand and slam their clubs would win nothing as well <laughs> yeah. but then you have it was Warren Gatland I mean it really yeah. is it was Gatland got shafted out of Ireland a number of years ago and he just had this thing about wanting to get one over the Irish and people would question Gats and his different styles of coaching and stuff but what he was very good at was an incredible motivator and the thing about whenever I played over with the Ospreys in Wales I knew like they're seriously talented bunch maybe they don't have the I might get in trouble saying this but the professionalism that a lot of the Irish teams are drilled into here but when they go into Welsh camp he has this clear focus and whenever it's Ireland, I mean, they just seem to take it all out on us. So there was always real battles and we've had good days and bad days against Wales. Um, some of my greatest days, I think back to 09, that, the Millennium Stadium, probably the best day of my career. But then I think a few years later in the the World Cup, losing that quarterfinal, you know, so it's just, um, it's the beauty of sport, isn't it? And can, can you enjoy it now? Are you in a place kind of a couple of years post-retirement where you can really enjoy it? I mean, was there a period afterwards when you finished... I know yeah. you kind of finished with Ireland before you finished with Ulster, so maybe it was a bit different. But, it, you know, it was hard to, to kind of okay, just listen, to get into I, it. I think still whenever there's a lot, like there's very few players from my era now still, I think maybe Keith Earls, Johnny Sexton, obviously, Pete O'Mahony. But there's a lot of new guys coming through. I think once those new guys come through, you know, the jealousy goes. You know, when yeah. you're seeing Johnny lifting another trophy, Keith Earls passed me out as you know, scoring tries, you know, that's, yeah, that's what you miss. But yeah, I, I don't miss it. I really don't. Honestly, like I had some great days, but the toll it took out of me and my body, you know, the injuries I had towards the end of my career, more mentally than anything, it's, it's to try and get to the, you know, to play in a Six Nations, you have to be the peak of your powers and the training and the work that has to go on behind the scenes to get to that. Like, that's the hard work. People people see the glamorous side of running mm. out in front of 50,000 people, but the hard work, the pressure behind it, the pressure you put under yourself, the coaches put on you, your teammates, I don't miss that. Um, so so I enjoy being a spectator now and having a pint and maybe we'll just talk about it. And was that immediate? Because I, again, I, I remember you mentioned 09 there and Bernard Dunn fought that night mm. uh, in yeah, Dublin. Yeah. In the three arena, yeah. 
Dennis Hickey and Shane Horgan, I think, were in the crowd in the three arena. Mm. And I just, I don't know if any other people noticed. I noticed them. It's just stuck in my head since. And I kind of thought, God, I'm surprised they weren't over in, in Wales at the match. But then I thought, maybe they just have no interest, having been so involved for so long. They don't want to follow the team around. Like and, kind of and you know, spectators. those two guys in particular did so much for Irish rugby and won triple crowns, but never actually got to win the Six Nations or the Grand Slam. And it was actually, it was Shane Horgan. I took Shane's position. Like he was in, he was on the right wing the year before in 2008. And he actually texted me after the match to just say congratulations. And to be honest with you, I was only thinking about the other day, like that was a real sound thing of him to do mm. um, because I know how difficult it is to have somebody else come in and take your position. And I know har- how hard it is to to see them go on and actually to win something. So that's, you know, of all the text messages and everything after that, 2009, before I got a bit inebriated and made a fool of myself <laughs> on uh, Dawson Street, uh, Shane texted me was, yeah, pretty special. The, the post-retirement plan, was there a plan immediately uh, post-Ulster? I mean, you know, what like, was it television? Um, in a way, yeah. Like, of course it was a plan. I was 34. I had an opportunity to do another year, Um and I turned it down because I just felt my body just couldn't take it anymore. It was starting to become a bit of a drag. And I kind of had an idea of where I wanted to go next. So obviously I'm involved in a clothing and footwear brand. And I was I was quite heavily involved in that at the time. But I wasn't too sure whether that was going to be able to fill my time day to day. So I wanted to to try something different. And punditry is something that all players go into. Mm. And... It's it just it's not my strength. You know, I I stood out in the wing, waved to the crowd, caught the ball and put it down in the corner every now and again. <laughs> like I didn't I didn't wasn't as inter- interested in the intricacies of you know how how the game is working to the same extent of a Ron O'Gara or a Johnny Sexton. Mm. So from my point of view, I've always been a curious, a, kind of inquisitive, and I prefer to be asking questions. And I just thought, for me, long term, there could be more potential for me if I could be the person asking questions rather than answering them. Because if you think about every pundit, they're only there until the next guy retires. So if I thought that this was going to be for me an opportunity or going to be there long term, it's very hard. There's only, there's very few Keith Woods and Brian O'Driscolls who get to hang around for that long. So for me to get into TV, that was a a kind of an area that I want. And, And what I love about television, I'll never recreate the buzz of running out in Twickenham or scoring a try against England or, mm. or one of those things but the buzz that you get when the red light comes on and you get this countdown saying 3, 2, 1 you're live like it's not the same as a, a big match but it's not far off It Does it kind of tickle the ego a little bit as well? Yeah well to an extent what, what I like about it as well is that there's so many, and you know this, Like, it's kind of a team atmosphere. People see us in front of the TV screens and myself and we're in an Allen set every morning at the moment. And like, it, it is us. We're out there to do the job a little bit like the 15 were out there to do the job in Six Nations, but actually the team behind it. Yeah. You know, they're the, they're the guys who book the guests who are, who are kind of giving us the scripts on what we're meant to be saying, all the details. So for us, it's, yeah, the pressure is on us to go out there and perform, do the job for them. And, and that's, that's an area I really like about it, that we are very much like a team and it's hard to get that in a job that is not like sport in a sense. How do you find the early morning? What time do you get up? Uh, alarm goes five past four. And how quickly do you kind of do the Wallace and Gromit thing of just, you just lowered into in your clothes? In the car at Corp. 13 minutes past. Are you? Much. Yeah, oh yeah, in and out. And again, this is another thing I like about <laughs> the early morning. It brings me back to the routine I had when I yes. played. 
a lot of players retire and like we used to get told what socks we had to wear every day, shorts, jersey, you know, on a Monday you have to wear a white jersey, Tuesday red jersey, Wednesday black jersey and if you're not wearing it, you know, you're fined. So there's a very, we're like ants, rugby players and I find with the early mornings, you know, it, it forces me to prepare, have my clothes ready the night before, have my food in the fridge, yeah. go to bed at a certain time. So it's just that bit of routine that I kind of missed. Flashbacks to news. Yeah, I know. You've been Breakfast, there. You know, exactly. The it's like, laying the clothes out in the kitchen. So I you know, don't wake everybody up. I mean, that's the problem. House. Go down to the kitchen. The dog starts complaining that she wants to go out oh, for it. I mean, are the, are the kids have been up crying. I mean, I have a four-year-old and a one-year-old. So to try and make sure that they can get a good night's sleep so I can get a good night's sleep. It's a nightmare. Yeah, it's when the kids are sick or they're off oh. their routine, that's when you're completely... Whenever I have to take my daughter home, who's four, from a party with the neighbours, because I have to go to bed, not <laughs> her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, the, uh, what do you listen to in the car on the way down? Podcasts. What do you listen to? What podcasts? Um, listen to a lot of sports podcasts. Listen to your own podcasts. Listen, a lot of the stuff, I generally, uh, there's a parenting hell podcast I listen oh, to. It yeah. gives me a bit of a laugh. <laughs> makes me feel like I'm not the only parent struggling out there. Um, I generally, the closer I get to Dublin, I try to listen to a bit more current affairs. So I just I feel I have a little bit yeah. of an understanding of what's going on. Because, again, we get sent through our notes at six, seven o'clock at night and you're trying to read as much as you can. But, I find it hard to, you know, I can't read every paper. I can't be up no. to date on everything. So that's my time where there's a bit of peace and I try to do a bit of research. I have to ask about the 10 siblings. Uh, <laughs> I just Why have not? to, I'm sorry. I mean, um, uh, look, Seamus O'Reilly, the author, he took it uh, listen, in his stride. I know, because the, it, it's totally, like, it's not, Seamus knows, like, there was, yeah. like, so I didn't actually even realise that I'd done anything wrong. So whenever Seamus came on, the problem was he was doing, uh, he was on Skype, obviously. Yes. And we were having a bit of crack in the break about his, his microphone and whatever else. Now, I knew, of course, the context of the interview, but it was it, it's quite a lighthearted book he's written. I yeah. knew it wasn't a dark or a, a sad, like his mother died, I think, 20 years ago. So we were just having a bit of a laugh in the break. I should have probably read my <laughs> intro script. Yes, I should yeah. have. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like actually I just carried on as if nothing had yeah. happened I was only later on that day I got this text to say that uh, that was the funniest television they've ever seen and then looked at Twitter and realised oh it kind of was to be yeah, fair it, it, was, it was hilarious it was hilarious <laughs> um, but I get like it's a kind of an example of like no publicity is bad publicity that's not often true but yeah. in that case I mean I don't think it did you any, any no, harm. No, no, like I have friends who are in Australia who said it was on their more, like massive morning show over there. They showed the clip and shouting, read the room. <laughs> uh, I have people over in Dubai who've seen it. You know, like the clip went but it scared me a little bit because it does show like you know live radio live television one slip of the tongue say the wrong thing oh, and yeah. it can be clipped up and, and something that can be said in jest and, and messing about which I, I do a lot on the show when it's transcribed maybe doesn't translate as well so you know you have to be on your guard and that showed me very quickly that something can spread very quickly whether it be funny yeah. or not so funny I, I, I was kind of before coming in to talk to you um you know, I was reading some pieces that have been written around your retirement and, and when you got the gig with Ireland AM and, and and there was a line that stood out. It was, you know, uh, someone referred to you as a proud Ulsterman. And I just wanted to ask you about, like as someone from the South who was very much identified with Ulster, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that's where you played the majority of your, your rugby and living in the North now, uh, well, parents from further South even than Monaghan. Mm-hmm. Your dad is from... Dad's Waterford, Waterford Mumsfield Mums- 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 yeah. there. I mean... 
like were questions of identity were they kind of uh, a hot topic for you growing up or even when you were playing rugby with Ulster were these conversations you ever had about kind of Irishness and being Irish and what it meant and yeah absolutely listen I'm from Monaghan but I'm kind of a stone's throw from the border so I grew up going my mum at the time worked saying Craig Avon Hospital as a physio because she couldn't get a job in Monaghan at the time so we used to have to go in the car with her and you had the big barricades and you had the soldiers you know going through so there was always this huge it was always a, a massive thing. It, it kind of didn't seem like anything at the time yeah. when I was growing up. But when I went to school in Armagh as a teenager, that's where I suppose the whole thing that came in with Catholics and Protestants and it became a little more, a bit more of a thing. But I found like it was never something that became a problem for me. You know, I, I think that sport was a great way of getting to know people yeah. and certainly from a young age when I went to school 11, 12 years of age you know my best friends some of them were Protestants I was playing sport with them I was going home then to play Gaelic football with the guys at home and then translating that then to go to play Ulster uh, play for Ulster up in Belfast as well uh, like I've never seen it as an issue I've always been very proud of my roots I'm very very proud mm. you know coming from Monaghan um, representing being a Catholic playing rugby for Ulster and do you know what has been incredible certainly towards the end of my career how open and engaging Ulster have become there was this family that came up every week from Cavan, Virginia they must have travelled for two and a half hours every day every Friday to come up and watch, watch a match and they would be up there with their full Ulster gear on people from Monaghan people from Donegal coming to matches all the time and that's something that I don't think I'm a big part of but I'd be quite proud to think that I might have opened up a little bit of yeah. gates so that people from those areas of Ulster feel that they're definitely part of the team. Do, do you find then maybe it's people like myself who are from further down south who have less of a nuanced view mm. of the north like I, 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 I've I, often said that and I don't mind saying it again like I, I the north wouldn't have really been on my radar growing oh, no. up it just wouldn't have been and, and to this day I very much fall into the trap of kind of speaking to someone from the north and immediately trying to work out are they one of us or one of them yeah. like, you know, in my mind that's kind of the how people are split like I mean is it when you're talking to people like me you get asked these questions but actually just it, you know it, it was it was less kind of the topic of conversation oh, in the Ulster dressing room no, well it wasn't it wasn't a topic of conversation there's plenty of other topics of conversations Um but no, I, you know, I did something for the Shared Ireland Island initiative a couple of months ago, and I think that what I said is exactly like you said. It was never somewhere that you would go. You'd never go to Portrush to go see the beach up there. You would never really go to Belfast to see the Cathedral Quarter. You would never go to Armagh to go to see the two big mm. cathedrals, because it's just what it's just not something that you know. There's plenty of other areas around Ireland that people can go, and I kind of feel that if I think that. We are neighbours, do you know what I mean? And we're, well, we're not neighbours, we're, we're part of the same team in a sense. But I think we need to get to know each other and I thought it was really important that people, you know, go up to Belfast and get to know it and see the nightlife and see what's what's available out there and, and see that actually there's really no difference. And, and I am a big believer in, yes, I've spent a huge chunk of my life up in Northern Ireland, um, but I see myself 100% as Irish and there's a huge amount of people up there who see themselves as the same. There's an awful lot who don't. But we all get along. I think we all have the same focus and all mm. want to see peace. We don't want to go back to the way that where they had those barricades like I talked about earlier yeah. on. 
And, and do you get a sense at all that it, it, we have moved in the wrong direction at all in recent years, kind of post-Brexit protocol uh, oh, yeah. and, and all of that? Brexit was a shocker, of course it was. It's def- definitely caused a bit of a, an us and them, 100%. But I think that sh- hopefully will be rectified. Hopefully, this, we don't know what's going to go on with this article, uh, 1960, whatever. We don't know what's going to happen with Boris and, and Brexit and EU, we, it, like it, it's a bit of a mess, but hopefully it works out. Like I think for, for the island of Ireland, it's really important that that no more divided, you know, there is no more of a divide there because it's not, it's not good. Because uh, I just want to ask you about the clothes before you go. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, probably people would have been guilty when this started as assuming this was somebody else's project and Tommy Bow was getting a few quid to to yeah. kind of lend his name to it. You know what I mean? He'd be the face. Tommy's well known. He looks good. Let's dress him up and he'll yeah, flog yeah. the clothes. You're heavily involved though. This is very much... It started off with the shoes that it was very much... A, a, I got approached by getting involved with a, a footwear brand back in 2009 and again at the time I knew nothing about footwear. Didn't really know much about fashion. Still don't. But the... Um, it just seemed like something different. All the other rugby guys were opening up bars and restaurants and cafes yeah. and doing different bits and pieces. I just saw footwear completely different. And um, the guys who I do it with, I find it really, really, um, they're brilliant mentors almost and, and really teach me about business. And whenever I was injured, it was always a great distraction for me. And it was about 2011, 2012. It was kind of my idea. Why not branch out from the shoes into the clothes? That then became a little bit more my baby and something that I'm a lot more involved in. And mm. that's something that, yeah, I really enjoy it. I, I, like, I mean, last year, for instance, 2021 is probably the most difficult year we've had. You know, you think about the supply chain issues we've had. I mean, it's chaos what's going on around the world in terms of trying to get stuff into shops. But it's not just a brand like 15 Kings My Own. It, you're talking about Tommy Hilfiger, Gant, Superdry, um, everywhere is doing it. So for us to be able to go into, when I go into a shop in Kilkenny, detail, talk to Carl in there, and I see the 15 Kings gear sitting alongside those big brands, big worldwide yeah. brands, it's something I'm really proud of. And something that, you know, we're called 15 Kings Ireland because we are an Irish brand. We're designed... And the whole idea around it is tried to have um, a bit of Irishness to it and something I'm really proud of. And is, is, is it bricks and mortar stores? Is that still very much the focus? Yeah, yeah, no, we, we do have online. We don't try to push it. Yeah. Everybody, everybody talks to me about how online is the future. And, and it is, but I, I, I kind of think online just becomes a big sea where the big brands get bigger. Um, where I think that shops bricks and mortar there will always be a demand for a menswear store in different towns and villages and counties around Ireland and I think that men in particular love to go in and try something on well, you know my wife's different she, she'll she order um, the same top in pink and blue in oh, small medium well small is... medium and large yeah. so she'll try them all on maybe get six outfits and send five back oh, but I mean God. the damage the cost that is to the people who are doing that because they have to then send those all out pay for the postage get them all back then they've had to pay for the packages to come back they've then had to pay to go get them all resealed put back into their bags again restocked again so it's actually a big cost so I think that um, there's always going to still be a market for, for menswear stores Well listen before I let you go then a prediction for this weekend I think Ireland will win win comfortably I'm going to go for 12 points Alright Tommy listen it's been an absolute Here, pleasure man, thank thanks you. a million for uh, dropping into us that's our lot for today it's our shoulder we have a Six Nations special on the show tomorrow between 6 and 7 o'clock so make sure you stay tuned for that of course I'll be with you from 4 talk to you then 